Hello and welcome to podcast number 12. Just want to say a quick thank you to Samantha Evans for being on the last podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by Lauren Caulfield, who is a consultant therapeutic radiographer at Oxford Cancer Centre. Hi Lauren. Hi, thank you for having me on. That's all right. Um, so Lauren, let's dive straight in. Um, could you tell us a bit about your journey to becoming a consultant therapeutic radiographer? Yes, I can start at the beginning if you want, because um, some people may know, some people may not know. I trained in Cape Town in South Africa, which is where I'm from. I um, don't have much of an accent left, so I think some people don't notice. Um, <laughs> worked there for a few years and then moved over to Oxford at the end of 2001 um, and then worked pretty much up to team leader fairly quickly and um, for a number of years until um, in 2009 we moved over to our new cancer centre and I got the opportunity to work in the brachytherapy service um, which was moving from LDR to PDR. So I worked really closely with the brachytherapy lead and we only did gynae brachytherapy. So um, that's where all my experience sort of from a, a gynae point of view came from. Um, and I was able to set up the service with her, which was brilliant. Um, and then um, she left unexpectedly. And so I was thrown in at the deep end running the service, yeah. which was, was great, but obviously quite daunting. And then um, that was sort of up until about 2014, really, when we wrote a business case to swap over to HDL, Bracky. Um, and alongside the business case, there was a consultant gynae radiographer post. Again, as I say, because we only did gynae brachytherapy. Um, so I applied and I didn't feel particularly qualified for it. It was an 8B job, but um, with the proviso that, you know, depending on experience. And I was a 7, so I thought, well, it's a bit unrealistic, but I thought, you know, why not? have a go. Um, and I was successful, which was brilliant, but um, it was still quite a learning curve because I had to finish my master's and that took quite a number of years because of staffing issues. And um, um, it, yeah, it took, took quite a while and there was ups and downs and things. Um, so I did complete pretty much all the training that I thought was necessary. Um, probably only by the end of beginning of last year, probably was when I finished my master's and um, I have recently heard which is really good news that my application for accreditation has been passed by my assessors so it's waiting board approval um, but I think a lot of consultants and advanced practitioners suffer from imposter syndrome massively and so I think the accreditation is the thing that makes me feel I'm probably finally now working at this sort of level and and within my job description which seems crazy sort of six years later but I think most people will agree that these kind of roles evolve and you learn on the job and it kind of changes as you go and you figure out what you need to do and which path to go as you go so yeah finally feel like I'm probably working as a consultant radiographer a few <laughs> a few years later but yeah that's how I got to here um and I was the first in our department so that was obviously quite quite daunting as well fortunately now we've got a few others so yeah congratulations on the accreditation um, thank you yeah that's good um yeah it's nice to get to that point where you are now I suppose so onwards and I mean, upwards from there yeah although uh I don't think it ever stops they've mentioned doctoral study which obviously we all know master uh you know <laughs> consultants should be I did it a bit backwards really one should have the master's first and then get the role and then think about doctoral level study so yeah it's in the back of my mind it's there <laughs> Fair enough, kid. <laughs> um, so what sort of support services do you offer for your gynae patients? Um, 
so that's sort of changed and evolved over the years as well. So um, like probably most APs or, or consultants, um, I do on treatment review. And so I see all the patients weekly and I, I sort of pride myself on doing a bit more of a holistic review. So they have um, some of the patients see the, the, the review team as well, which is sort of a little bit more side effect based. And obviously, while we do talk about side effects, I try and make it as holistic as possible. Um, so they all get hof- offered holistic needs assessments. Um, and given the, the sexual care clinic, which we'll probably talk about in a bit, um, obviously the the sexual care part and looking after the sexual side effects of radiotherapy is is something I'm interested in so I feel like I can give them a really good review mentioning that as well um, I provide the vaginal dilators and um, information on the clinic um, and because I do some of the clinical work in brachytherapy I can support patients who are really worried about upcoming brachytherapy and give them information and support on that, which is really helpful when you work in an area as well. You can give them lots of info. Um, and we've got quite a small gynae team. So we've only got two consultants, two and a half. Um, so I work really closely with them and we're, we're a really close team, which means that the link between the patients and the doctors is is really quite good and questions and queries can get sorted quite quickly because I'm, I'm a middleman, which is really good. Um, and I'm a non-medical prescriber and a non-medical referrer. So again, you know, scans and medications and things can get ordered and sorted without, without lots of delays. So I think that really helps from the, the patient experience point of view. Um, and then I run a couple of clinics. So I do a follow-up clinic for some of the endometrial cancer ladies. Um, which is really nice because then obviously you've seen them through treatment and then you see them through into mm-hmm. into follow up. So you really get to, to know them quite well. Um, and hopefully, as of next week, I'll be seeing new patients. So that's been a work in progress. So that's the, the plan is to start seeing new patients for volt brachytherapy. And again, I already consent patients for that. And, and, and it's a radiographer led service. But again, being able to see them right from the beginning, I feel like I could give them a really good grounding of of the pathway and what's going to happen um and then obviously I try and signpost them all till the charities so like Eva Peel and, and Joe's Trust and obviously trying to educate them on the the good websites to look at rather yeah. than just googling <laughs> and and seeing what they uh, seeing what they can find um, but I think the sexual care clinic is probably the the sort of clinic and the the service that I think makes the biggest impact and that's probably the one I'm the most proud of Good. I suppose that moves us on quite nicely onto sort of my <laughs> next question for you. Um, so what's it like to be part of a radiographer-led sex clinic? Um, and how does this kind of affect working relationships within like the wider medical team? So obviously the nurses and any other AHPs that you work with? Yeah. Well, it's really rewarding. Um, I do love it. I, I mean, it's terrifying at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrifying. It was terrifying at the beginning, certainly because no other radiographers were doing it. Um, We didn't really know what it was going to be like, what the patients were going to think, what the impact was going to be. We we sort of um, found the training ourselves. We did the bits that we thought were going to be um, needed and we liaised with the people we thought we needed to liaise with. But until you really get going, you don't don't know if what you've done has been adequate. and I also wasn't sure if I was going to say the right things or, or do the right things or or whether you could really help them. Because, you know, you like with anybody, you're scared of asking certain questions in case you open that can of worms and then you don't know what to do with the information. 
Yeah. So, um, but I mean, every single appointment has been really amazing. Everyone has taught me something. I think the patients have really got something out of it as well. Um, the feedback's been amazingly positive um, from all the patients. I think hopefully it's it's really been of benefit to them. Um, and it's, it has sort of in, encouraged other radiographers in the department to ask questions perhaps at pretreatment that they wouldn't have before. We've certainly, I've seen a few sort of journal entries on patients where the CT radiographers asked, um, well, not necessarily asked, you know, I'm not quite sure how it's got there, but they've they've mentioned intimacy and they've mentioned the sexual care clinic and they've talked about it right at the beginning, which I think they wouldn't have done in the past, which is great. Um, and I think, I, I hope the doctors are talking to patients more about the sexual effects of treatment um, because now there's some way to signpost them to. There's still more work to be done, but... Um, certainly some of the teams like the urology team are really engaged and we get a lot of referrals from from all all that team so consultants and the cnss um i don't think there's been a huge shift in sort of our our on treatment radiographers necessarily although they're more aware of the clinic um and certainly our our review team are certainly mentioning it more in review and I think people are, are less worried about bringing up the topic because they know there's somewhere to send people. Yeah. Um, and I think that works across the board. But, you know, there's still pockets, pockets of, of, of sites or, or staff members who perhaps are still a bit weary. But I think on the whole, we certainly have raised the profile amongst all, all staff groups that there's at least somewhere to send people now. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's as you said, that once you open that can of worms, if you don't know where to go or what to do, you can be a bit flustered, especially if it's in the treatment room. Absolutely. And you're sort of there with five minutes with the patient and they've asked mm. you, or you've asked them to be nice and then you realise, actually, I don't know what to do next. So yeah. that's quite nice. <laughs> they actually have something to do. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm going to see if I can say this correctly. It's quite long. So I know you, <laughs> there's a model that you use for your consultations. Um, I just thought it was quite interesting. Um, so I know the, the acronym is explicit. Yeah. And it's called the Extended Permission Limited Information Specific Suggestion Intensive Therapy Model. Um, <laughs> <It's a mouthful. laughs> yeah, apart from being a mouthful, how does it help with your consult uh, consultations? Um, so it's really used as a guide to um, sort of structure the information giving. Um, and it's the, the permission given it, giving is what normalizes the problem and normalizes sexuality. And it, it provides the opportunity to ask questions really and that's the crux of it it's about giving the patient permission to discuss the things that they want to um and it it does make it easier to sort of bring it up you don't have to ask out specifically in-depth intimate questions it's just sort of bringing up the topic and giving the patient the option to talk about if they want to and that they, you are there to help and to listen and most staff members can offer the limited information part of that um, and sort of the impact that their diagnosis or their treatment can have on the pelvis, the breast, you know, the, the, the mouth, for example. Um, but we're able to offer the specific suggestions. So that's the other sort of bit within there. The intensive therapy part of it um, is obviously the counselling and um, specific therapy that we would need to refer patients to, whether it be psychosexual therapy or relationship therapy. But I guess the bit that we're sitting in is the specific suggestions 
area, which has just come along from training and experience, I guess. Um, and but we and also we can offer that that onward referral. So we've created links with other services, so we can provide the 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 onward referral if people do need relationship counselling or psychosexual therapy. Um, and as I said, it does help with structure. But I think the thing that I certainly use more is the um, Institute of Psychosexual Medicine method. So I'm doing training with them currently. And that's a sort of a brief interpretive therapy, which helps with both sexual and psychosexual problems. And it's about looking at the patient practitioner relationship. So it's all about feelings and how they reflected back um, the patient's feelings towards yourself, your feelings towards them, the feelings in the room and how they um, sort of impact on relationships and, and the patient's life. Um, and it also uses the psychosomatic mind-body examination. So physical examination is, is really important in the IPM method um, to aid the consultations. So the explicit model was, was sort of a guide and a, a bit of a structure and, and um, to sort of structure the consultation, but it's probably the IPM method, which is, is more useful from a consultation point of view. Okay. I suppose, yeah, as you said, it's quite nice because you follow the patients through all the way. So those kind of feelings, that relationship that you build, it's something that mm. over time, I presume, they may open up to a bit more potentially by the end of the treatment if you do see them again. Yeah, definitely. I think sometimes it's just it's just asking the, the question. You know, you're always going to have people who will not tell you anything and you can just see them clam up and their face shut down and you just get nothing. <laughs> you know, it's as if you've just thrown a tumbleweed across the floor <laughs> because there's just no reaction. Um, and with others, you can almost see them. Oh, yes. Well, actually, you know, they just sort of open up and and you, you can almost see them thinking, oh, yes, I really want to talk about this, but I'm so glad you asked. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's quite nice that we still wear masks. So when you have that awkward silence, <laughs> you can kind of hide behind it. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, that's part of the part of the training and the IPM method is about embracing the silence and actually letting things just hang there. I think we as radiographers are, are really poor in general of letting there be silence. You know, you want to fill it. You want to you keep talking or make things better. Or if somebody's crying, you want to talk over them and you know you want to try and fill that and make things better I think we like to fix things don't we, um, we do. and you can't you can't always fix things in these conversations it's about you know letting difficult questions hang in the air and, and letting the patient process and think well actually what do I mean by that what is the implication of that you know how do I feel and sometimes you've really got to just sit there and bite your tongue because it can get really long and awkward but you do see the the wheels turning and people do respond to that silence yeah what sort of questions might you ask to gain permission um um so you know you can really just throw it in there when you're asking about other side effects you know it's really doesn't have to be an in-depth question you know you can say how are your bowels how is your bladder oh and what about sex and intimacy you know it's, it, it can be quite easy to just throw in a little a little penny um just to see oh okay i've I can talk about that as well as I can talk about my bladder. You know, it's quite easy to just throw questions in. Or, you know, you could be slightly more vague and say, oh, some people find that, um, you know, this treatment has an impact on their relationship with, with their partner. You know, is that something you found? Is that something you'd like to talk about? Um, you know, or, or even more vague, you know, what's, what are things like with your partner at home? How's your relationship? How's, how's your treatment affecting things at home? You know, you can start quite vague. And you could bring it closer and closer. 
as, as and I guess the you're right if you do know the patient it is easier especially if you know their history and who they live with for example and whether they're in a relationship or not it can make it easier um and obviously there are times that you know if you're giving dilators for example it's really quite fits in quite nicely with the the conversation you know if you tell them why you're giving it to them for example to maintain sexual function as well as clinical examinations the minute you say sexual function you often get it oh no don't worry that's that's out the window yeah. or or you go oh yes well actually and then they tell your story um but yeah it's the times i guess when you're doing a review that's perhaps not so obvious so if you're not doing a pelvic review you know if you if you're seeing a head and neck cancer patient for example who you would perhaps not automatically associate with having any sexual um concerns you know you could just say how is how is your treatment affecting relationships at home you know or some people find that treatment to the oral cavity causes problems with intimacy is there something you'd like to talk about you know it can be I mean, I'm making it sound quite flippant and quite easy, but, you know, you need to practice, <laughs> you know, you need to give it a couple of goes and maybe practice on your colleagues. But um, um, it is possible to put it in there. No, it's interesting. I think being having been on the treatment floor for a bit and then going to review, when you try and bring your review element or your communication skills onto the treatment floor, it can be quite difficult because you are mm. rushing them through the door, trying to get Absolutely. them done quickly. Um, but no, it's interesting. I think, as you said, it's kind of comfort levels and how much you know and then you can start to practice so um but but i um it, it certainly is is much more difficult for a treatment radiographer to delve into these issues you know like you said you've only got a few minutes you're certainly not going to say oh how are today? how are you today oh and how's your intimacy you know what's going on at home it, it it sort of doesn't really fit but i think you've got to be aware and in tune with the patients that if if you can sense something you can sort of take them aside after and say, oh, you know, I, I picked up that there's something going on or I see that you are having a bad day. Would you like to talk about, you know, you could just delve in like you would and you could sort of bring it up in that bit. But equally, if you're doing a first day chat, I mean, we would talk about other side effects. As a matter of fact, skin, you know, bladder, bowels, sickness, you know, we rattle them off without even a second thought. But sexual dysfunction is the one or sexual effects of the treatment is the one that we just don't talk about no but again i think as you've said obviously now there's a clinic things are opening up there are more places i know across the country who are looking mm. into it or at least trying to consider it as part absolutely. of absolutely so it's getting there um slowly it's getting <laughs> slowly there. slowly yeah um, so i suppose i know we've touched on treatment and review therapeutic radiographers but what sort of conversations would you want i suppose a treatment or a review therapeutic rad to have with their patients um yeah I think we have sort of touched on it haven't we so I think in the first day chats it needs to be standard you know this treatment can you know if you're treating the, the the pelvis you know we leave the the erectile dysfunction and the vaginal stenosis we leave that to the doctors at consent you know we really should be mentioning it again on treatment just to reinforce that a this is something that may well happen in the future and this is as important as a long-term bowel effect, you know, which we we talk about all, all the time, radiation proctitis, for example, you know, pelvic radiation disease, it, it's all over the place. But, um, you know, we're very, very keen to, to tell people about those sorts of damage, but, but the sexual side effects we leave to the consent and then we don't tend to talk about again. Um, and, 
And I think there is some evidence that some male patients wouldn't necessarily consent to some of their treatments if they knew, you know, if they really knew and had really been informed about the effects on their sexual function. Um, and obviously at the beginning of treatment, it's probably a bit too late, but at least it's mentioning to the patients, this is a valid thing that could happen. This is a valid concern. There are things we can do. There are places we can signpost you to. You know, you don't have to feel like this is something you have to deal with in the shadows on your own after treatment. Um, again, you're just giving them that permission at every step of the way, talked about a consent, talked about on the first day of treatment. And then in review, as I've said, you know, you ask about all the other bits of treatment just to ask them about relationships and intimacy um, all the way along the pathway, all the way into end of life care. I mean, we don't tend to deal with end of life all that much as therapeutic radiographers, but it's really just mentioning it at every every stage of the pathway. Um, and as we said, just sort of being in tune, I guess, to know if somebody's struggling to say, there is this, there is a place we can signpost you to. Have you thought about speaking to somebody about these issues? Um, yeah, I think most sort of patients, are, what they always say, well, even if it's not going to happen, it's just good to know that something might happen. Yeah. Um, and I think you're right, lots of kind of male prostate patients that I have spoken to said, oh, actually, I probably wouldn't have gone for the surgery to have my prostate yeah. out if I knew I was never going to get an erection again. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, I suppose then that's where the risk benefit would come in from the doctor's yeah. side of things. But, um, yeah, yeah, I agree. We, we need to be at every kind of point where we speak to them, just kind of reassure them and capture the right info that we need. Yeah, um, and I think if we're, if we're talking to about it, we would be so it's difficult to know what data we sort of want over time isn't it but I guess if we're talking about it more and we're mentioning it more we'll be recording our conversations we'll be recording that we've asked that the topic's been raised and and then I guess we've got something to look back on if we ever do want to capture any data from that but if we're not even asking the question we've got nothing to go on have we yeah exactly and I suppose going into late effects it's having that baseline as well knowing during treatment what's going on and then afterwards what's happened so. yeah and I mean, that's something that we should be doing. We should be doing baseline um, sort of erectile function or, or, or whether they were even, you know, lots of t looking at lifestyle and all sorts of things before they even get to treatment so that you've got something to compare to after the fact, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. I think sometimes people come to the clinic and, and they sort of they haven't even had an erection, you know, for a year pre-treatment and then they've not been given any advice at any point. And then suddenly after radiotherapy treatment, they're suddenly realising that they want some help but it's often not necessarily too late, but, you know, it would have been nice if they'd been given information a lot further, or, you know, a lot earlier along the pathway. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you think it's everyone's responsibility to broach this sort of topic with patients? I do. I don't think they need to have all the skills. They don't need to have all the information. They certainly don't need to know what to do <laughs> and have the answers. But I, I do think it is every, you know, we would we would never say it's not your responsibility to talk about skincare. Yeah. Um, or the fact that we could, you know, cause urinary problems on treatment. You know, we just wouldn't leave out any of those. So why are we leaving out the things that can cause, you know, as much damage to not just the person, but the relationship and future relationships or the person's, you know, body image and self-worth and quality of life in in the long term it is sexual you know your sort of sense of sexual self your is really important to people single or not um 
and it really shouldn't be just sort of left to somebody will have talked about it somebody will have mentioned that so I don't need to that's too awkward I can't possibly ask them about it <laughs> yeah. you know we're still quite prudish when it comes to talking about sex I think um so it's just sort of trying to push just a little bit outside the comfort zone I guess yeah exactly and I think hopefully mm. we can follow your lead with it a little bit <laughs> <laughs> well I'm certainly no not quite the expert yet but I feel like I, I know a bit <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um so I know you were involved in um, a journal article recently, uh, which was probably which was published recently. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Mm, so that was an evaluation of our clinic. So we started the sexual care clinic in, I think it was the end of 2018. So it's the sexual care after radiotherapy clinic. So basically, we'll see anybody um, who's had radiotherapy at any point to any area if they've got any concerns with intimacy or sexual function. Um, post-radiotherapy so we did an evaluation of the the clinic looking at numbers of people from January 19 to September 2020 um, and we were looking at the impact on patient satisfaction and experience so we had given all the patients a friends and family test form you know the generic trust um, friends and family yeah. test form to fill out in the absence of any other form of, of evaluation and we know it's quite a crude simplistic tool but we just wanted to see what people thought because there is some free text and whether they would recommend uh, whether they, you know, how they found the service and whether they had any specific comments. Um, and there were some demographics as well that we collected. And that was actually really interesting. Looking back, I mean, the comments were, were across the board, positive, really positive comments from the patients. Um, and then what was quite interesting was looking at the male to female ratio. So it was sort of 67% male compared to 33% female. Um, and and that I find really interesting because, yes, we do have a lot of um, urology patients that are men, but we have a huge proportion of breast patients um, mm. who are majority of, of them are women. And some of the literature says that about 50 percent of those ladies have issues with body image post-treatment and sexual dysfunction, you know, from treatment as well as surgery and from hormone treatment. So, you know, the fact that we had such a low proportion of of women was interesting. And actually, they are still similar we've still got about 78 percent men to 32 percent women i think in the referrals okay which we didn't evaluate the reasons for that and it could be it could be a number of reasons it could be that the teams are are either more proactive or less proactive about talking about it or perhaps certain groups of patients are more willing to investigate you know help i don't know whether the men feel more confident talking about it. You know, it's more of a visible effect if they've got erectile dysfunction rather yes. than, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's a potentially, you know, a sign of, of lessened masculinity. You know, it's very visual, um, whereas for women, it, it's not. And um, I, I don't know if that's got something to do with it or whether it's just the teams, whether the urology team is more proactive at doing it whether it fits in more with their consultation style. Um, it's interesting. Um, and we obviously found that the satisfaction was really high. So I think it was sort of 90 something, 96 or 98% people would um, uh, were highly likely to recommend the service if somebody else needed it. So that was really good. Um, mm. And it showed us that it was, you know, really worthwhile 
patients were satisfied, but it also showed the trust. I mean, it's not a hugely expensive service to run, but it did show that actually it was worthwhile. And that's always good from a, a money point of view. Um, and the impact has been just immense. I mean, the, the interest has been huge from students to staff members. I mean, we've had loads of opportunities to present the work and to talk to various people internationally and nationally. So I think the impact of, of not just the article, but the clinic and the publication has been huge. Yeah, no, it's good. It's a really good read. And again, it's nice to get kind of your work out there, as you said, internationally. So yeah. that more people kind of know what's going on. Um, yeah, well, I suppose, what's next for you and the team that you're in? <laughs> um, well, we need to advertise it more because, as I said, some of the teams are much better at referring. Um, we've got a new breast consultant radiographer um, and I keep she shares an office with me. So I keep banging on about <laughs> when you do your patients at clinics, you need to tell them about the sexual care clinic. I mean, all our patients get information on it. Um, at the end of treatment, um, as well as in their review appointments. And we've we've added a section into the dilator leaflet as well, so that, that you know, we've, we, we kind of are trying to, to get that information out there at all points, but we still need to encourage all the teams to talk to the patients more. Um, and we also probably need to expand the team. So currently there's just two of us. Um, and while I can certainly cope with the female referrals, my colleague is, is quite overwhelmed with all the urology referrals. So we definitely need to expand the team, um, whether that's me or whether that's an extra person. Not entirely sure. Um, as I said, I'm doing my IPM training. So that's the Institute of Psychosexual Medicine. So um, I think I'm into semester three or four. And um, the plan is to sit the diploma exam at some point. Um, which would be good so that will just hopefully just give me more confidence and more experience to accept as many referrals as we possibly can um, and I, what would be really nice is if we could expand the scope of the clinic I mean obviously we've kept it very much radiotherapy patients only because that's obviously our expertise yeah. but it would be really nice if we could expand it out to more cancer more patients who've had cancer treatment that haven't necessarily had radiotherapy you know, there's a lot of patients coming in for chemotherapy who've still got the same body image um, issues who might just be on hormone therapy and they've got the same concerns. So it would be quite nice if we could in the future expand it out. I think I think that'd be really good. And obviously late effects is always the hot topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, the word on the street looking after late effects. So combining this into some sort of fully formed late effects clinic, I think would would be the ultimate really you know we've we've started with one little bit um but i think it'd be really good if we could combine it into something a bit bigger um and i'm just kind of trying to talk to anyone who listen really <laughs> <laughs> banging the drum yeah <laughs> good no it sounds very exciting um, there's lots to go into um but i just want to say thanks very much for coming on the podcast today it's very interesting you're um, welcome thank you so much so yeah and um thank you to everyone who listened to this one and um we'll catch you soon <laughs>